0: Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. All right. Uh, Hey, recently we started a new talk series, uh, Letter of Colossians, and we're glad you're here. Uh, You know, we're excited to grow together. Uh, If you're new, if you're just checking things out, or you've been following Jesus for many years, you know, we all have a lot to learn. No one around here has it figured out. Uh, many of us share a common goal, and that is uh, to follow Jesus. And what does that look like, to grow in our love for Jesus? And then what does that look like in my neighborhood, at work, uh, with, you know, at our kids' school, uh, where they play, uh, all of that. So if you're single, if you're married, um, if you're single and you want to be married, uh, recovering from divorce, young, old, you're just welcome here. But if you're new grandparents, uh, please stop bragging about your grandkids. We're all getting tired of it, okay? All right. <laughs> Here's a quick review. Uh, we gave you in uh, chapter 1 the context, the background of the eight belief systems that had made their way into the home church that met in uh, Colossae. Last Sunday we answered the question, who is Jesus Christ, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And today I'd like to pick up on one verse, verse 27. You'll need your program notes. Uh, go ahead and pull those out. You can follow along. Pins are usually somewhere around you there. If you need one of those, ushers are on the side, and they'll get one of those to you. You'll be glad that you got one. Uh, But we're going to look at one powerful thought today. Focus on one verse and one thought. In verse 27, it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you just speak to our hearts, Lord, that uh, wherever we're at. If we came into this room and we're distracted or our thoughts are elsewhere, just bring them back to this moment, Lord. We're here to worship you. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. Open our eyes to see what we need to see in your word today, and open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's talk is about three things. Uh, first, why optimism must become hope. Secondly, the greatest fear that human beings face we're going to talk about that and then why Christ in you is the hope of glory. Last year April 2016 the New York Times on the front page article stated this, the US suicide rate, US suicide rate has surged to a 30 year high. Various experts were consulted in this article, and they were searching for explanations of why. This is so intense. One attributed the trend to diminishing jobs and economic prospects, um, and yet the suicide rate for black men, perhaps the most economically excluded population of all, was not rising. One expert, though, identified the root cause. Harvard professor Robert Putman said the cause is hopelessness. Hopelessness. Write that in your program notes. Why should people feel more hopeless when our lives are more comfortable and we're living longer than ever before? One mainstream author was asked this question, which subjects are underrepresented in contemporary fiction? And the author's answer was joy. There's hardly nothing written on joy. The author says they seem to have decided that despair, alienation, bleakness, are the most meaningful and interesting topics to us as Americans. Do a quick survey on, on your own uh, of the most popular movies and TV shows. They're quite often filled with kind of the end-of-the-world theme, right? A large mass of people are being wiped out in some way, uh, and a handful, only a handful, are either surviving on Earth or in a spaceship somewhere. And then the people who survive, are, they're always tanned, They're dark-skinned, they're multi-ethnic, they're drop-dead gorgeous, and they're really smart. Those are the only ones that survive it. But the overweight, middle-aged, fat, white guy never, never survives the end times, right? He has a normal range of intelligence, but not him. He doesn't get to survive. Look at all the popular movies, the shows, gross violence, environmental disasters, zombie invasions, and uh, some kind of escape into brutal medieval times that no longer exist. Even some of our most popular TV shows are a bad person doing bad things and being the hero. It's just so dark. It's so negative. No matter how all of us analyze this, it adds up to one word, and that is a loss of hope, a hopelessness in the US and Europe, innumerable polls have been taken and they're saying that there is a declining overall global lack of confidence in our future. No one can live without hope. So today we're going to talk about why Christ in you is the hope of glory and we'll discover why following Jesus gives us a future hope like no other. Imagine two women on the same they're the same age, the same socio-economical status, same educational level, even the same temperament, you hire both of them, and you say to each one of them, you're going to be part of an assembly line, and I want you to put part A, connect it to part B, and then I want you to hand it to the next person in the assembly line. And I want you to do this over and over and over again for eight hours a day. And then you put them both in an identical room with identical lighting, temperature, ventilation, and you give them the same number of breaks throughout the day. It's very, very boring work. Their conditions are the same in every single way except for one difference. You tell the first person privately, at the end of the year you're going to be paid $30,000. Then you go to the second person, second woman, and you tell her privately, confidentially, she's not allowed to tell anybody, you're going to pay her $30 million at the end of the year. After a couple weeks, the first woman's saying, this is so boring. This is not worth 30000 This is driving me insane. I'm thinking about quitting. Are you thinking about quitting? I'm thinking about quitting. And the second woman, who was promised $30 million at the end of the year, she's going, I love working here. I mean, this is great. I mean, I, I whistle while I work. This is awesome. What's going on here? You have two human beings who are experiencing identical circumstances in radically different ways. What's the difference maker? It is their expectation about their own future. Write this down. It's not in your notes. Expectation fuels hope. The point of this story is not intended to say that we all, what we all need is a really good income and that solves everything. It does, however, show you that what we believe about our future completely controls how we're experiencing our present. It's not just a a general uh, hopefulness or a general optimism that produces a better life. The kind of hope we need is something much, much deeper. Andrew uh, DeBanco, he wrote a book called The Real American Dream, really thought-provoking analysis of American history. And he writes that human beings, we all need to organize the sequence of our life experiences into a particular story. We need to talk about our story And we need to each make sense of our own story and the events that we've gone through. And when the story is leading somewhere, it gives us hope. When you feel like your story is leading somewhere, you have hope. And he argues that we cannot bear life by living only in the present. Because sometimes in living in the present, there's disconnected random events that occur in our life. He also states that pursuing an instant desire is not enough either. We're future-oriented beings, and we all seek to understand ourselves as someone whose whose story is leading somewhere, and that we cannot live without a set of beliefs that say, you know, our lives matter. i got to feel like my life is going somewhere, that there's something at the end for me. There's hope for me. And Banco he writes, we must imagine some end to life that transcends our tiny allotment of days and hours. It's the only way we can keep at bay the dim, dark suspicion in the back of our minds that we're, in, we're, we're drifting in an out-of-control world. DeBanco divides our cultural history. This is the cultural history of the United States into three chapters. He starts with three different hopes or stories that our society over the years have given people. So he names them God, nation, and self. And so you go back to the beginning of our nation and the first phase of the first chapter of American history, hope was chiefly expressed largely through a Christian story that, peop- that gave people meaning in their suffering and it promised them deliverance from death. Then came the influence of enlightenment. And instead of, a, of an ultimate hope being in the kingdom of God, Now Americans began to believe in this idea of a sacred calling to build the greatest nation on earth, one that would show the rest of the world the way to a better future for the human race. It essentially substituted a deified nation over God and the worship of a nation over God. And so we're now in a nation, many years later, Feeling the groaning pains of this path, this idea of a great moral nation is now plagued with racism, riots, and the ramifications of Americans largely believing that truth no longer matters, that truth is just relative. There is no objective truth. And so our society is literally crumbling around us. And you see in our secular society that we no longer have moral absolutes no agreed-upon understanding of what right is and what wrong is. And so then we can, we, 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 how do we define progress? We, we try to define it, this is progress and this is regress. And so the idea is that our ideas are progressive and your ideas are not. However, every declaration of progress made is an imposition of the other group's values on the rest of us. The other problem with the idea of progress is it's assuming this endless economic expansion. Author Christopher Losch writes, an awareness, I quote, an awareness of the natural limits of human power and freedom has become inescapable. Younger Americans are perhaps the first generation to be certain that that their lives will not be better off than their parents'. The interconnected nature of our world right now has all kinds of nightmare scenarios. Widespread disease, global economic collapse, uh, climate change, hurricanes, cyber attacks, terrorism. Every day there's this new glooming reality in our world. Another proof of this loss of cultural hope is U.S. companies are now hoarding and stockpiling not millions of dollars, trillions of dollars. Google alone has 80 billion sitting in a bank uh, in their accounts or their short term investments. Apple has 246 billion in cash. People no longer have confidence that the future will be the same, that it'll be brighter, that it'll be better, that there'll be progress. Everybody's starting to hedge their bets. And so this modern belief that the new is usually better. Is actually evaporating. So at the beginning of the 20th century, if you roll back a little bit at the beginning, the future was that we just envisioned the the problems of our societies are going to get solved. Everybody's going to get better. Everybody's going to reconcile. Everybody's going to be happier. And now what we're starting to see is the beginning of limits within even the environment and our planet. The secular concept of, of an ultimate constant economic growth is collapsing. And that's why secular optimism is on the decline. It's not working. It's why optimism must give way to hope. Hope is a far deeper word, a far more mature word, a far more deeper understanding of how you relate to your world and your worldview. You see, real hope doesn't demand a belief in progress at all. Hope cannot be defeated by adversity. Hope doesn't require a belief in unlimited progress. Hope has a belief in injustice and that the wicked will one day be dealt with, that that the wrongs of this world will be made right. A hope that stands up and enables you and I to face the worst depends on a faith that transcends this world and this life. Timothy Keller, in his book, Making Sense of God, he tells a story about Howard Thurman. He's an African-American scholar at Boston University. And he gave a famous lecture on the meaning of, of the Negro spirituals. And he argued that the singing of their faith served to deepen their capacity to endure slavery and the persecution they were going through. They believed that th- they held to a conviction that one day God would make this evil right. Their Christian faith didn't weaken them. It taught them how to look at all of these facts that argue against hope and to use those facts as like a raw material to fashion out of a hope, a hope out of their environment with all of its cruelty that could not be crushed. That's what hope does. It transcends your circumstances. And this reason their hope could not be crushed was because their hope was otherworldly. It was not based on the circumstances of America becoming great again. It was not based upon the temporal walls of this world and the limits of this world and the limits of this life. The great challenge to a human hope is not just the question of, you know, where is history going? Where is the world going? What's going to happen next? It's or what will become of this present world. The great hope is the question that you must ask is, where are you going? Where are you going after you die? The greatest fear that human beings face is death. In the current phase of American history, we've lost our belief in God and salvation. 96.3% of our valley that we worship in is not interested at all in church. And we've lost any shared sense of our nation being more important than us. In other words, our culture does not see serving God or the nation as being most important. Rather, we see our own self-actualization and our own self-comfort as being most important, our own personal happiness. Do whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect me. We do not consider religion or national loyalty as important as a pursuit of our own individual freedom and personal happiness. And so our hope now is in our own individual freedom to pursue our own uh, ideas of good and to express our own authentic self. And the problem with that pursuit is that story, it does not face the certain fact of human life, and that is death. Did you know the wealthiest entrepreneurs right now on our planet are now trying to discover a way to escape death? When you think about it, if you're a billionaire and you've done all you can do, what's left for you to do other than to say, I I don't want to die? I can own anything I want except I can't own life and death. The Christian story has always been a story of deliverance from death. All the ancient myths and legends, uh, they deal with death and they depict death as this unwanted intrusion into your life. It always becomes something, you know, something has gone wrong. We view death as if something has gone wrong. Yesterday we were eating at uh, our favorite uh, sushi place, and I noticed our server that I've seen many, many times uh, there was serving us, and I noticed a tattoo on her forearm. And so I just asked her, I said, hey, hon, what's that on your forearm? And she showed me, and it, 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 it said it was, a, it was in loving memory of her papa, Her grandfather. And she had tattooed, it says, your wings were ready, but my heart was not. Death does not feel like it's the way things are supposed to be. Death does not feel natural. It's an abrupt intruder. Why do we fear death? The first reason is because of what it does to our relationships. We fear. We don't want to lose a loved one. Carl Jung says this death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no sense pretending otherwise. It is brutal not only as a physical event, but far more so physically, a human being is torn away from us. There is no longer, there no longer exists any hope of a relationship, for all the bridges have been smashed at one blow. Real love, though almost by definition, wants to last. It never wants to be apart from those that we love or care for. That's real love. And there's no way, there is no more painful experience than seeing a loved one dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Nothing of human strength is capable of healing you from death. Nothing of human strength is capable of healing you from death. The second reason we fear death is the belief that there's nothing after death. It's really popular that the idea that there's no existence or consciousness, it's just black. It's no consciousness, nothing. But the truth is, that belief cannot be proven. And to be certain that there's nothing after death, no existence, no consciousness, frankly, that requires a huge leap of faith. Epicurus wrote this, it's not the fact of death per se, but the gnawing uncertainty of what lies behind it that cannot but disturb us. Rousseau said, He who pretends to face death without fear is a liar. I've, I've been with, well, I've been with a lot of people when they've passed. And even those who have no belief in God or the afterlife. I find they begin to reflect. They begin to examine themselves. After they've lived their whole life in denial of this moment, they begin to reflect and they ask themselves, have I been loving enough to my family? Have I been loving enough to my friends? Was I generous enough with my money and my resources? Did I did I continually postpone changes that I knew that I should have made in my life? This last winter, Tracy and I were up in in. What I will call my earthly heaven, Lake Tahoe, and uh, you remember the winter that we had? It was really, really intense. And so, on one of those evenings, we were trying to trying to make it down the hill, and it, it, the snow was so intense. Everybody's in chains, and we're literally going about twenty miles an hour, fifteen miles an hour. And uh, as we're crawling along, we're we're in our four wheel drive. Suddenly, so much snow fell. It was it was a blizzard. So much snow fell onto the windshield that literally the windshield wipers could not keep up. I'm driving in the Sierras on the section of the freeway, the one where there's guardrails, and suddenly I could not see what was in front of me at all. If you are suddenly, slowly driving towards death without the ability to see what's ahead, it can make you panic. I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know what's going to happen to me. One person said, I don't get why people who believe in nothing after death, no conscious existence, just blackness, will mock people for betting their lives on a loving, faithful God while they'll bet the whole ranch on there's nothing after death with no reasonable proof of any kind. Now let me ask you, how can you be sure of nothing After all that you've known in this life, is that reasonable? That we would experience all of this, as imperfect as it is, and then we would just go to nothing? Is that reasonable? I said at the beginning of this talk that I wanted to speak about three things. Why optimism must become hope. And that the greatest fear human beings face is death. And now, most importantly, why Christ in you is the hope of glory. He says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Being a Christian actually explains why we feel death is so unnatural. Death was not part of God's original design. God does not take your child. I hear some of the most ridiculous statements around funerals. Well, I guess God needed him. God doesn't need your child. God doesn't take your child. God doesn't take your father. God doesn't take your grandma. God doesn't take any of them. God did not create us to age originally, to weaken, fade away, or die. That was not His original intent or design. We we are created for loving relationships that never end. That was God's original intention. Death is an intrusion. And a result of sin, of our human race turning away from God. And sin and all of its toxicities in our food, in our environment, and everything around us caused our bodies to begin to decay. It was never God's original heart or intention. Timothy Keller writes this, Our sense, even now, that we were made to last, that we were made to love without parting, is a memory trace of our divine origins. We're trapped in a world of death, a world which we are not designed. And in Christ, through Jesus Christ, Father God has made a way of escape. In Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. How did He do this? Verse 10, Hebrews 2, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that He should make Jesus through His suffering a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. How does Christ in you give you the hope of glory? In ancient times, a champion was the one who would engage in what was called a representational combat. That's what David did when he fought Goliath. He represented all of Israel to defeat the enemy. Jesus Christ stood engaged in mortal combat to the death, fighting on our behalf, representing and interceding on our behalf And at first looked like he lost when he died on the cross. Satan thought he had won, he'd killed Jesus Christ. It looked like death had won. But what happened was is he was paying our debt for us. And just as creditors, a creditor's power is broken over us when someone pays our debt fully, so death's claim and power was broken over us through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He paid the penalty so that death could not hold Him. We may physically die, but death now becomes only an entry into eternal life for you and I. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He is why you can now have peace in death as a believer and as a follower of Jesus. He is why you no longer need to fear death because your hope is not in this life. All death can do to followers of Jesus Christ, is to make our lives infinitely better one day. Heaven's not a bribe for you and I, because heaven for us is about our love for Christ. It's about being united forever. It's about a relationship. You see, for us as followers of Jesus, heaven is not uh, a place where there's this gigantic God and this mystical, spiritual blob or presence. Heaven for you and I is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in this life, our love for each other is less than what it will one day be. As good as the love that we share together is, one day our love will be made perfect. You see, we seldom love each other, love one another uh, equally in the sense of the way that we give our love and receive our love. Usually there's pain involved because someone will love somebody more or somebody will love somebody less. My family, we moved here uh, into the Bay Area out of love for a dream. Uh, The dream was you, and it's become a reality, Brave Church. We love you more than you can imagine. I mean, this may sound strange, but when you go about your daily lives and work and so forth, we are praying for you. We are uh, working to build a community safe for your family to find and follow Jesus, free from religion, free from hatred and racism, we're working hard to build a community for you out of love. Knowing that many will only see brave as a resource and you will just you will come and go. They will not love us as we have loved them. That's the thing with love is you give it freely, but you don't always receive it. And in this life, our own ambitions and our own selfishness clogs our ability to love others adequately enough. But in heaven, love is just fully mutual, without end. Heaven is called called glory, because it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Heaven is full of an exponential love. It's this inconceivable love to our human hearts. In fact, the Word of God talks about it in 1 Corinthians 2. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, His plan that was previously hidden, even though He made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. Rulers of this world want to build their kingdoms and their glory. But he says, but if they had, they would have not crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the Scriptures mean when they say this. And here's, here's the rich part. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You have never, ever seen heard, or even begin to imagine what God has prepared for you. There's nothing more powerful than when someone makes a powerful declaration of love towards us. And none of this is possible if we simply die and become part of the earth or enter into some kind of unconscious existence of nothingness. Love is possible only between people, two people, And what Christianity promises is that through Jesus Christ, Christ in you, our hope is in glory. Our hope is not in a tangible outcome here on earth. The Word of God doesn't just promise us to live on forever in like some kind of spiritual paradise removed from this world. The Bible teaches us that one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That God's heaven and glory will one day descend in all of its power and it will renew and literally purify this planet of all of its evil. All suffering will go, aging, disease, poverty, injustice. All pain will be removed forever. We don't just look forward to the saving of our souls, but we look forward to the saving of our bodies. The, The Bible teaches that we're going to get a new body. I'm looking forward to that. When I was 20, I could care less. I was so ripped. <laughs> this week, I was invited to speak at the, the Rams Chapel uh, before they played the, the Niners. Uh, I've had all kinds of conflict with that. But anyway, um, the, <laughs> the first player that walked into the chapel uh, made me feel like I was like five feet tall, like I was a middle schooler. I mean, the guy was just enormous. His, his chest was huge. I'd never seen a chest that big. And uh, his shoulders and his... Body. I, I I touched his arm and I felt like a little kid with little hands, like <laughs> touching it, you know. And he, And and the thing was, I mean, he he didn't have an ounce of fat, and he's like 332 pounds, just immense. I mean, it was just amazing. I shook I shook his hand, and my hand never came back; it disappeared. <laughs> into the... Do, do I want a new body? Of course. Why wouldn't you? Our bodies will one day be resurrected from the dead. And, and listen, I know this doesn't matter to those of you that are young, but when you get older, you will want a new body. <laughs> There's this thing called inflammation that you just can't get away from, okay? Listen to this. This is so good. First Thessalonians 4. We don't hear this a lot, but you'll hear it here. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns... Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. This is so important to your hope. This is where you place your hope. No other religion, no other belief system even claims to hold out hope for the salvation of the world along with your soul and your body. No other religion even promises that. In fact, if you study their beliefs, it's like, why would you want to believe that? There's like literally no hope at the end of it. The other religions that the Christians in Colossae were blending with Jesus Christ had no lasting hope. Suffering, evil, death have ruined this world. We're not merely hoping to, you know, for some consolation for the things that we've suffered or lost in this life. We're looking forward to life the life we never had, the life we always wanted. We're not simply, you know, we don't want to just simply get our life back. We want to get the life that God intended for us, the original design of what He wanted for you and I to experience. We all experience eventually gaps in our life, the gap between what we had hoped for and what actually was. And it comes at different ages. It comes at different stages in our life. But there is a hope and a life far better than the one you've ever dreamed of on this planet. Some prayers will not be answered in this lifetime. Read Hebrews chapter 11. But you can be encouraged in this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a historic fact. Real justice will be done on earth one day. Horrible wrongs and evils that you've seen and you've thought, why doesn't God intervene? Oh, believe me, God will intervene. There will come a day of judgment. There will come a day in which all wrongs will be made right. And so we in the Christian faith, we have this great hope that will stand the test of time that is not based upon weather, economics, nation building, or any such thing. You can say, I have a hope for the future because Christ in me is the hope of glory. But this promised resurrection promises much more than just the wrongs of my life will be made right. In J.R.R. Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, he explains why people spend so much time, so much money, so much energy, and consume so many movies and plays and books that are fairy tales. He says, it is partly the desire to survey the depths of space and time and, if possible, to escape death itself, which he says is the oldest and deepest desire. He goes on to say, we want to love long enough to realize our artistic and creative dreams. We want love without parting, and we desire to see the final triumph of good over evil. Where did all that desire come from? It's a story of Christianity. It's a story of the gospel. He believes that tales bring us so much joy because good ones describe a world that ought to be. That's why we enjoy the fairy tale, the fantasy of a world that ought to be, free from some of the things that we experience in this life. And then in the epilogue of his essay, Tolkien makes a full disclosure of his belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of all fairy stories. He doesn't mean, he doesn't, he doesn't not mean by liking the gospel of the fairy tales that it's merely a legend. On the contrary, he says it's the story, the gospel story which is the joy bringer, you know, the spell casting, the heart-shaping old stories, the fairy tales, the gospel is all through it, that sense of there's got to be a future hope and something more for us, because in every well-told story, there's gospel within it. There's a sense of good news within it. There's a sudden and miraculous grace, and there's a joy of deliverance that comes, the fairy tale story gives you, like the gospel does, a glimpse of hope beyond the walls of this world. If Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead, if he really is the Son of God, like we talked about last week, and if you believe in him, all things that you long for most desperately will come true at last one day. We will escape time and death most religious systems teach an afterlife, but, or, but ordinarily it's conditioned on you living a morally good and perfect and religious life, and you have no way to know where you are on that scale. Only following Jesus Christ, true Christianity, offers you a salvation as a gift. Isn't that love, to give it as a gift? You don't get in because you're good enough, but instead because you admit that you are precisely not good enough and that you need a Savior. And so our hope is in Jesus Christ, which means that we do not approach death with uncertainty at all. And we do not need to approach death with any kind of fear at all. D.L. Moody, a famous minister, wrote his own epitaph before he died. He wrote this, Someday you will read that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I will be more alive than I am now. Would you bow your heads with me? For some of you here today, death will be an escape. Maybe you, you know what it is to battle a chronic disease or illness. For others, it's going to be a reunion with loved ones and your, that your heart longs to see. For some of you, death is your greatest fear. And for the first time, you're catching a glimpse of what real, lasting, eternal hope can be for you. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, where have you placed all of your hope? Where have you placed all of your hope? Jesus Christ, in you is the hope of glory. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to have you stand or I'm not going to have you come forward but right where you're at if there's something in your heart that says I see it I'm hearing it and I want to place my hope in the Lord Jesus Christ I want to receive forgiveness of my sins I want to acknowledge his death on the cross and his resurrection and I want to begin to follow Jesus for the rest of my life if that's you just slip up your hand right where you're seated just say that's me that's great. That's wonderful. All over this room, hands are up. That's great. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray a prayer for you and for those of you that are followers of Jesus, and you can make this prayer your own as well. Lord Jesus, God, I just see it. I see it, Lord. I have faith. I don't believe in a nothingness after life. I don't believe in a black existence. I do believe in a God that is just and fair and will make all the wrongs of society right. I do believe in a loving Savior. And I ask you for forgiveness of all my sins because I will never be good enough within myself. I can't do it. I can't be religious enough. And so I receive grace and I receive your mercy and I receive the gospel and I receive the good news. And today I begin to make a decision to follow you for the rest of my life. And Father, I pray for those that will be passing in the years ahead, all of us will eventually pass, that there will be a growing sense of peace, a growing sense of revelation of what it will mean to one day be with you. Lord, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. We can't even imagine what you have for us in heaven, but we can trust you. We have a great hope way beyond this life. Amen.